seated, would it change the way you serve? Would it cause you to work harder? Would it cause you to love more intimately? Would it cause you to become more open to the opportunities that God places in front of you? Let me be more specific. If the success or failure of the church depended on you personally sharing Christ with your neighbors or your family members, would we live or die? If the success or failure of the church depended on you serving as a teacher, a setup person, a behind-the-scenes cleanup person, one who visits and loves on those who are sick and in the hospital, would we live or die? At the root of this question, we find a church that is either mature or immature. We find a church that either knows its mission and purpose or one that is simply along for the ride, hoping that others will fulfill the mission and purpose of the church. I want you to know today that each of you are here for a reason. Not just today, but every single day. You bring unique experiences and characteristics to the table that the church desperately needs. The only way for the church to ever truly fulfill a Micah 6-8 calling of acting justly, of loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God is if we all do it together. It must be something that we are genuinely committed to. Plainly put, your life matters. How you serve, how you love, and how you walk in obedience to God's leading will determine whether this church lives or dies whether it succeeds or fails. Throughout the years, there have been many churches that have understood this. One such church is the Church of Philippi. Over the next several weeks, I want us to take a look at the Church of Philippi to examine the book of Philippians as we see a church that really got it. It's a unique letter from Paul as we look at Philippians because There's something different about it that you don't see in any of his other letters. All of the other letters that Paul writes are in some way a rebuke or a challenge to their behavioral characteristics. He is telling them you need to do something different. What you're doing is wrong. You're you're acting immoral. You're making poor choices. You're misrepresenting the way God intends you to live. With the book of Philippians... He doesn't correct them. He doesn't rebuke them in any way, but rather he encourages them. This is kind of one of those you rock messages where he's he's telling them, you're doing exactly what you need to do. I want you to keep doing it. This was a church that was walking in maturity. It was a church that was serving well, loving mercy, obediently following the Spirit's leading. In fact, I want you to look at it with me. Just in the greeting of Philippians chapter 1 this morning, we're just going to real briefly look at verses 1 through 11. Look Look at the heart that Paul displays as he writes to them. He begins with sort of a, this is who I am. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. 
together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, as I read that greeting, the only thing that stands out to me is Paul's incredible love for them. He begins by saying, I thank my God for you. He's not frustrated with them. He's not disappointed with anything. He is thankful every single time he remembers them. It brings joy to his mind to know that he got to share life with these people. He got to love with them. He got to live with them. He got to share the good news of Jesus with them. And they got it. He's celebrating them. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Well, what way is he feeling? Since I have you in my heart. What he's saying is, I love you. He's got an incredible love for these people. In fact, how great is his love? He says, God can testify how long. How I long for all of you with what? The affection of Christ Jesus. You think about how great Christ Jesus' affection is for humanity. It cost him his life. He had such a passion and a love for those that didn't yet love him that he was willing to give everything of himself to become your sacrifice and my sacrifice that's an incredible kind of love that Paul is saying, I have for you. Well, as I look at that, I, I got to tell you, there's a part of me that wonders how Paul developed such a love for them. Why this particular church? Why would Paul love this church seemingly more than all of the others? And by the way, it's likely Paul loved all of the churches that he worked with. But why this church? This church seems to stand out a little bit different from the others. Maybe it's because he saw something in them that was incredibly rare. Maybe it was because he knew how far they had come. He saw them when they were infants in Christ. Maybe it was because he knew that they simply got it. For us to really understand this, 
I think we need to look at the roots, the foundation of the Philippian church. So I know that we're going to be looking specifically at the book of Philippians for the next several weeks, but I think to really get it, to really understand, we need to take a step back. And I'm going to ask if you would to turn in your Bibles back to Acts chapter 6. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16. In this passage, we see Paul demonstrating an incredible love for these people because of who they are. It kind of gives us a glimpse of who he's writing to as well as we look in Philippians chapter 1. Who's, who are the people that are receiving this letter? I'm going to skip down just a little bit. We're going to start in verse 13. Just read a, a three verses here. On the Sabbath day, by the way, this is Paul and Silas, and they've come to town, and they're looking for a place to worship. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now I want to take a moment and consider the fact this is basically the first named person that we know of in this Philippian church. This woman, we get a pretty good glimpse of who she is. Her name is Lydia. She is basically a wealthy CEO. She is in charge of her own company. She uh, is probably very demanding. She has high expectations. She probably has one of those imposing presences. You know, she walks in and she has an agenda and she has something that she expects everybody else to sort of be ready for. She's also not a local. We know that she's from Thyatira, which is in Asia. And we know that basically she was exposed to many different things. It's significant because along with the exposure to the many different things, as one who dealt in purple, always in commerce, this was a woman who probably was also exposed to many different faiths. But as Paul and Silas come into contact with her, she is at a prayer meeting. We don't know much else about what was going on in her life at that time, but we know that she is defined as a worshiper of God. She is a God-fearing woman, doesn't yet know the truth of Jesus Christ, but she is a God-fearing woman, and she has come together with other women specifically to pray. She is spiritually aware likely knows and embraces the Old Testament law. She likely is a good person who is trying to keep the commandments. Clearly, she's with other Jews who have come to pray, so she's probably heard the commandments. You would think she's trying to live according to the commandments, but she also is probably likely aware that she had fallen short in some of those. It's possible she even was familiar with the process of atonement. The fact that there were times that the Old Testament people simply did not live up to the standard that God called them to. So God made a way for them to be made at one with him again. And it required some sort of sacrifice. This woman, Lydia, when she hears the truth of Jesus Christ from Paul, 
she immediately sees that this is the truth that she has been lacking. She needs Jesus Christ. So we're told that Lydia, along with her whole family, her whole household, that they believe and they are baptized. I want you to notice the way Paul reached into Lydia's life. He reaches her through reason and intellect. This was a smart lady. She knew business. She, this was a lady who had done her homework. She had experienced an awful lot of things. And she had come to the realization that there is one God and one God alone. She is a worshiper of God. She has come to pray and to seek him. She is trying to live. She is trying to serve him. But she doesn't yet understand the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And on this day, her life is changed. But of course, she's not the only one who becomes a part of this story. Still here in Acts chapter 16, we run into another individual who will become a part of the church. We don't have a name for the individual. In fact, um, immediately after the story of Lydia, we see that Paul and Silas continue to preach. And in verse 16, we see, once when we were going through the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, this young lady is a slave girl. This is probably the most contrasting image between church members. You know, we typically find ourselves, we surround ourselves with people who are just like us. We find people who think the way we do, who maybe even do the same type of work that we do. Uh, the people who we want to live around are the people that we share an awful lot in common with. We've got Lydia, who is wealthy, successful, an entrepreneur. And then you have this young girl. She is a slave girl. It's a young lady who she is broken in many ways. By the way, it is an interesting exchange that occurs here between her and Paul and Silas. Think about what she was declaring. She was actually saying the same things that Paul and Silas were saying. She is shouting, these people are showing you the way to be saved. You would think that they would celebrate this. It's a girl that's been trusted among the people. She has this ability to foretell the future and people trust her. They want to hear what she thinks, what she says. And she is openly declaring, you need to listen to Paul and Silas. So why did they get frustrated? Well, first of all, it wasn't a one-time thing. According to this, after many days, basically this woman would follow Paul and Silas around shouting constantly. After a while, that gets old. It's like your kids when they continually say, Dad, 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 Dad. Over and over and over again, I heard you the first time. At some point, Paul says, you know what, enough's enough. And he turns to this young girl and he says, get out of her now. 
and the Spirit leaves. Immediately, this creates a problem for Paul, but it introduces this girl to something that she had never truly experienced. She had the knowledge, only the knowledge that this demon that had been inside her had given her. Notice what Paul does. He doesn't try to reason with her. Remember how Paul reached into Lydia's life? Through reason and basically explaining in an intellectual way, this is the way things are. In this case, he doesn't try to reason with her. He doesn't turn to the slave girl and say, hey, we're having a small group this Thursday on crazy and I think you might have a little crazy in you. Do you think you might want to come and be a part? Instead, he simply looks at her and he commands this demon to leave. Paul reaches her through a supernatural act of God. Had he tried to reason with her, it wouldn't have worked. You see, the thing is, God doesn't reach us all the same way. He doesn't need to do the same thing in me that he did in you. God chooses to work in each of us differently. Well, the result is Paul ends up in prison. As Paul ends up in prison, we then meet the next member of the new Philippian church. We read, beginning in verse 20, it says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. So a few verses later, we see that Paul and Silas have been thrown in prison. Why? It's primarily because by casting this demon out, this young girl could no longer provide an income for her slave owners. So Paul and Silas are now in trouble and they're thrown in prison. Actually, they're not just thrown in prison. We're told that they are beaten with rods, that they are flogged and then thrown into the prison. And this is where we meet the next church member. He's the jailer. And he's basically the tough guy of the group. He's probably ex-military. He probably has put all these years into military service, and now he's just putting in his time getting ready for retirement. He's incredibly rough around the edges. We don't see a whole lot about him, except we do get a little glimpse of who he is. His treatment of Paul demonstrates how rough he is. He's told to guard him, to make sure that he's okay. So we're told that he puts him in stocks. Now, when we imagine someone in stocks, our first thought, at least for me, um, years ago, I, I remember going to Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, it's a historical area. It's a beautiful place. And they've got this, uh, these stocks that are there where uh, individuals who got in trouble, they were put in stocks and they put their arms in, they put their head in, and basically they have to stand there. Uh, I would imagine it would be a very uncomfortable thing but nothing compared to the stocks that would have been used in Paul's day. You see, in the prisons, they had stocks as well, but it wasn't all neat and square so you could just stand there, but rather these stocks were intended to twist and to manipulate the body to the point that joints would often come out of place. It was a place of punishment so that the prisoner would not only not want to escape, but not be able to escape. They would reach a point where physically they could not move. The guard was never instructed to do that. 
He was instructed to guard the prisoner carefully, but instead he put him in stocks. Now, imagine his surprise when he abuses Paul, yet he hears Paul and Silas singing hymns of worship in the prison. For Paul and Silas, it is well with my soul. For Paul and Silas, whether the situation changed or not, they still had the joy of Christ within them. You see, they knew that without Christ, they were nothing. They knew that they needed his grace. And you know what? Maybe we have to suffer in this life. Oh, we get to suffer the same way, similar to what Jesus suffered. We are counted worthy of suffering like him. And to them, this was a reason to rejoice. Man, they're weird. Paul would have been one of those guys that's really hard to deal with. Because no matter what, he was happy. No matter what, he had a joy and a peace that passed all understanding. Imagine being this Philippian jailer who's watching them and thinking to himself, you people are crazy. Well, the Philippian jailer decides to take a nap, goes to bed, whatever you want to call it. And in the middle of the night, the chains fall off. Actually, the song that Vicky sang earlier, the chains fall off. Philippian jailer wakes up and realizes, oh my goodness, the chains are gone. I'm in trouble. You see, we get a little bit more image of him. Remember, he, he's been a soldier in the military. This is an individual who knew what the responsibility was. He was very loyal to the Romans. He knew he had one job to do, one job. And if he's going to do it, he's got to do it well. In fact, if the prisoners were to escape, he will be held accountable. He will die. Not only would it create shame upon his family, but they would lose their income. This is a really big deal. And he looks and he realizes that the chains are gone. And he doesn't see Paul and Silas. And he draws his sword as quickly as possible. And in despair, he is ready to take his own life. He has brought shame to his own family name. He has brought shame to the Romans. And here he is probably going to lose his income anyways. Why continue? All of a sudden he hears a voice and it's Paul. And he says, wait, don't, don't kill yourself. We're still here. You can almost picture the soldier dropping his sword. Going in there and finding these crazy people who have been singing in spite of the abuse that they have taken. Saying, why are you here? Your chains are gone. You think about it, Paul and Silas had the easy way out. Not only had God caused the chains to fall off, this guy's about to kill himself. Who's going to be there to stop him from leaving? Why didn't Paul just sit back and let him finish the job and then Paul could have gotten up and walked out? It's because Paul knew that this man needed redemption as much as anybody else. And Paul cries out to this man, wait, we're still here. Paul would lead this Philippian jailer to Christ that night. 
he and his entire family would be baptized and they would become a part of this Philippian church. As Paul reached into the Philippian jailer's life, he reached him through a living witness and truly showing honor to one that mattered. Remember, this soldier wanted to honor the Roman government. He wanted to honor Caesar. Here Paul is, and Paul honors God even in the midst of terrible situations. You know, I look at these three individuals, and then I look at the love letter that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1. All three of these individuals are people that Paul has seen from the very beginning. It's likely 10 to 15 years has passed since his encounter here in Acts chapter 16. 10 to 15 years have passed from that point to Philippians chapter 1. Can you imagine the things that have happened over those 10 to 15 years? The slave girl, she's all grown up. She get married. She have children. Lydia, what kind of difference has she made in the church with all of her wealth and all of her leadership skills and abilities? This soldier who was officially commissioned by the Romans to serve, how many people has he been able to touch with his life simply because he had been redeemed by Jesus Christ? How many times did the three of them need to encourage each other to help them along the way, to make sure that none of them fell off the wagon, but rather they continued this journey all along the way. It began with the question, how would you imagine how you would act differently if the success or the failure of the church hinged on your behavior? In their case, Lydia, if she didn't live for Christ, that church probably never would have become the church that Paul could write that love letter to. If this young lady, this slave girl, didn't truly live for Christ, imagine whether or not Paul would be able to write that letter down the road. They needed each other. This guard, they needed each other. They got it. I look at the things that they did and I see a church that grew together and loved together and served together. I understand why Paul loved them so much. He was not only a spiritual father to them. He was one who had seen incredible things. Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be at the church where I formerly pastored in Pennsylvania. We lived in Delaware. The church was in Pennsylvania. We got to see a lot of the people that we got to pour into. We were there for 10 and a half years. We, we simply loved them. We still love them. Some of them, I saw them going through the birthing. I didn't actually see the birth, but I got to be with them right after their children were born. I got to baptize their children. I got to baptize many of them into the family of Christ. I got to do weddings. I did funerals for them. They're people that I still love. There's one guy in particular who was there two weeks ago. His name is Mike. Mike and I are still really good friends. I love Mike to death. We actually um, 
served probably closer to him than anybody else we served with while we were there. Uh, there were times that uh, he and I would joke about having the Mike and Mike show. There's an old ESPN radio show called the Mike and Mike show. And it seemed like everything I did, he was there. And we were partners and we worked together. I want you to know, man, I was so excited to see Mike two weeks ago. He had to run outside to his car and I thought he was leaving already. And I was in the middle of a conversation. I wasn't trying to be rude. And I, I just, I said, you know what? I promise I'll come back, but I need to go get somebody. And I went out there and I gave Mike a huge hug and I said, you just don't understand how important the relationship I have with you is. See, I'm not very creative. I fake it sometimes. I'm not very creative. He is. But if someone tells me, hey, this is something we ought to do, man, I can run with it. And I can, I can give it everything it has. Well, that was the relationship me and Mike had. I have a love for him that's unique because we have served together. Why did Paul love that church? He saw them from their infancy. He saw the progress, and he got to minister alongside them. I asked the question, why this church? Why that church in particular in Philippians? Now I ask the question, why this church? This church is blessed by God. I look at the history of this church. Man, it is unbelievable. You think of all of the ministers who have come out of this church, district superintendents who have come out of this church, missionaries who have come out of this church, youth ministers who have come out of this church. I get excited to think about the history of this church. I get excited to think of the elders, those who have led by example for so many years, who have prayed. Uh, we recently, as a part of our board, we identified some of the things that the church is known for. And one of the things that came out incredibly strong is this is a praying church. I get excited about the history and the foundation of this church. I get excited when 28 people give their hearts to Christ in a single month. I get excited when we have the opportunity to share the love of Christ with those around us. But here's my question for you. Will we be a church that gets it? The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to a church that got it. They realized that what they did mattered. If the, if the community was going to be changed, if the Philippian people would be reached for Christ, they were going to have to be faithful. And they couldn't just do it half-heartedly. I wonder, do we get it? Do we truly understand that God placed each individual, regardless of your background, the things that you've experienced, he placed you here at this moment in time so that you could be his instrument to transform this community. I know theologically, the idea is that you can do everything right, and if the Holy Spirit doesn't bless, then it doesn't matter. But you think about it, little effort will produce little return. Far too many of us have assumed that the ministry will take place whether I do anything or not, whether I show up to church or not. Others will visit, others will serve, others will paint, others will clean. And we have sat back and assumed that everything will be okay and what I do really doesn't matter. Tell that to Lydia. Tell that to the Philippian jailer. Tell that to the slave girl. Their lives were transformed. And Paul, a missionary who preached to millions of people probably, had a special place in his heart for that one group of people 
who they got it. I am going to do everything that I can to serve and to transform this community. I know that I can't do it without Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's presence and his moving. But I also can't do it without you guys. I'm not saying that as a complaint toward anything. But rather, I want you guys to understand you are here for a reason. 10 years, 15 years down the road, 25, 30 years, hopefully even. I want to be able to look back at the ministry that we do here now and say, I thank my God every time I remember you. I am filled with great joy because although some of you come from very different backgrounds, all of you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And all of you have become a part of something much bigger than yourselves. Next week, I told you we're going to have this great event with all the police and firefighters and EMS. Maybe you just want something to do this week. Come by and look for something that needs to be done. I'm not going to turn you away. Show up on Sunday morning and don't act like you're here because Pastor Mike told you you should be here. Put a big smile on your face and you love on every single individual that you see. You find a way to make them feel like they are the most important person in the world. And then as you do, I will then respond and give a gospel message that hopefully will lead people to Christ. You say, well, pastor, what you do is important. What we do really isn't. No, you know what? If you don't love on them, they're not going to listen to what I say. I really believe that. When people walk in, they know whether or not they're wanted. You love on them. You let them know that they are important, that God loves them, and you are glad that they're here. And then I get the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus Christ. But you know what? We're all a part of that. At least we're supposed to be. I don't know your background, nor does it matter. Glad you're a part of the body of Christ. I look forward to seeing how God works in and through you in the days that come. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, we come before you and once again we are grateful for your faithfulness to us. We are grateful that you did reach into our lives. Some of us as those who seem to have everything together. Some who seem to be the most intelligent of people. Some to see, to, who seem to be the most broken of people. Some who seem to be content with where we were, simply ready to move on into retirement. But we come before you now, declaring that we need you regardless of where we've been. Lord, I pray that you would empower us as your people to live as those who have been redeemed, to live as those whom you have brought to this place and this time for a specific reason. Use our talents, our abilities, use our hands, our feet, everything about us. Lord, I pray that you'd have your way. Open up doors for us to reach into the lives of others and together to change this community for you. And we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for what you do. In Christ's name we pray, amen.